Chapter Seven of Betty Baird's Golden Year by Anna Hamlin Weichel. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Holly Jensen. Chapter Seven: Nods and Becks and Wreathed Smiles. John was the farmer on shares of the century-old farm which the Bairds had bought and which Betty had named Boxwood because of the thick old box that wound plumply up to the front and side doors and encircled the few remaining flower beds he was a queer taciturn glum creature his only recreation foretelling the weather at almost any hour of the day one could see his lean neck twisted towards the sky and his jaw and mouth which occupied half his long face tilted to a strange angle of observation on this may day betty found him planted at the front gate in his prophetic attitude now do please say that it will be a splendid bright day betty besought him she gazed anxiously towards the southwest where a few clouds had piled up since she looked out of her window early in the morning don't know as i can truthful john growled he did not like to be disturbed at this ticklish business betty's heart sank she had great faith in his powers as he had been a sailor in his youth and had spent much of his time scanning the sky yet hope did not die for at best john was not a cheerful herald of the day his prophecies were jeremiads too often to be wholly trustworthy then too poor john had dyspepsy look at them clouds raisin from the lee agin the wind like birds raisin from the water it certainly looks to me's if we'd have fallen weather about high tide he went on with growing hope and high tide at three seventeen to-day betty was dismayed now just think how disappointed your little girls will be if it rains she cajoled him trying to soften his prognostications by an appeal to the one well-known tender spot in his heart john squinted at the sky once more then looked towards his house where his two tow-headed children were racing around and flapping their blue gingham aprons at the chickens scratching in the garden them clouds might maybe lighten up a leetle mite towards noon he granted he was plunged in thought for a moment still a wet may brings a barn full of hay if it rains we oughter recollect that he said gleefully he walked off with the air of a man at peace with his conscience and the whole world betty was rooted to the spot well of all detestable people she began then a humorous smile dimpled the corners of her mouth and she ran into breakfast to set the family off with john the joy killer's latest bit of constitutional saturninity but john's prophecy did not bring its own fulfilment sweetness and warmth through the air exquisite mingling of yellow greens in the foliage of the arching elms against the background of dark firs a blue sky with swarming clouds of fleece deep shadows on the bay from the low wooded hills all gave to betty's home this may day an elusive charm found in a mezzotint after gainsborough jack and dunny came early to hang ribbons of contrasting colors from the top of the maypole which were to be woven by the children in their dance mr king brought a splendid curtain of crimson and gold to throw over lois's throne while jack's mother sent a load of decorative shrubs of course lois knew that the children were to welcome her and entered gaily into the play 
there was to be as little formality as possible she said in the part she was to take in the ceremony for the dainty maids with their joyous songs and sweet-smelling garlands would make the queen's part subordinate so she threw aside all self-consciousness and lost herself in the jolly spirit of the day john made hay while the sun shone since his thunderclouds had gone back on him by cutting the new grass and clipping the old box into symmetrical trimness chairs and tables tottering always a little downhill stood under the trees giving a sense of merrymaking that was inspired partly by their festive air of irresponsibility as safe places for body and limb for dishes or food the snowy damask the great bowls of jonquils and dogwood and the blue dishes added their touch of romance to this picture filched from the picturesque days of merry old england craig ellsworth came early bringing his mother and dottie aged five in his boat betty and craig had been good comrades ever since the bairds had moved to long island as craig was her nearest neighbor they had swapped talents betty helping the lad with his latin while he taught her scientific gardening craig had his own way to make in the world and was quite unaccustomed to society until he fell in with betty and her friends then he went to college and at once a transformation began he was passing through the dandy period and betty changed her name for him from clamor-boy to arbiter elegantium he had gained to perfection what he called savoir-faire somewhat laughingly it's true but with more seriousness than jack or dunny to whom society was an old story would attach to the phrase betty often wondered which way the scales would turn and held her breath to-day when she saw him carrying a slim walking-stick dr and mrs baird with mrs brooks and mary king and others received the guests informally under the cedars lois was not dressed in conventional may queen style for she wanted to join in the games so the only touch of regality was a gold filigree belt on her simple white china silk in which she tucked the violets dunmore lane had brought her betty's creamy flannel suit was to use gertrude's word about it and gertrude was an authority on clothes chic and no one could doubt its becomingness lois had stuck a rose into her golden wavy hair and the succession of expressions on her face one moment blithe then anxious again dimpling with fun showing concern for some guest's comfort smiling whimsically at one of john's characteristic actions or brimming over with the joke jack had told her all evinced a personality of sweetness of humor of sunniness of generous high spirits that made things go and made her loved mrs ellsworth when shaking hands with her whispered you are craig's guiding star and for the moment since the air was so clear and sweet and the sun so bright and the world so happy betty thrilled at the words a guiding star but her sense of humor was too much for her and as she looked at craig's jaunty little cane she knew she didn't want to be his star involuntarily her eyes sought jack handsome debonair jack brooks rich well-bred a prince of good fellows then her hand was clutched and she heard edwina's elegant announcement of the arrival of bishop wayborn and his two grandsons 
paul and reginald all swarmed around the bishop for though a high dignitary there was so much simplicity and sweetness in his nature that children loved to catch his hand and had a sense of peculiar nearness to the tall distinguished-looking clergyman reginald seized betty's hands in both of his while paul greeted her not less warmly but with more dignity as became an older brother and a theological student betty spoke to paul with some shyness though she admired him she did not feel easy with him she felt that her gay temperament was displeasing to him and betty had always wanted to please paul though why she could not have explained even to herself and certainly not to lois perhaps charles lamb sad misnomer made the sensation of the early arrivals a classmate of dunmore lane's he was a true satellite tolerated for the really good heart which shone through his harmless eccentricities the count as they had dubbed him at yale appeared to-day in all the glory of yellow waistcoat yellow buckskin gloves yellow spats shining top hat and a huge horsehead walking-stick with his bulldog at his heels clever handsome edith banks with a touch of airiness befitting a may-day party in her white billowy hat was there the very one for reginald betty and lois decided while gertrude lynn in her trailing gray directoire gown beamed on lamb whom jack at once piloted up to her the others as king called the guests who were not in the intimate inner circle came swiftly in carriages automobiles or boats in true holiday spirits end of chapter seven recording by holly jensen